we have enough time for maybe two more topics. I want to get into first. Who do you think are potential breakout candidates for Washington? And why do you think they're poised to break out? Like, what, what leads you to believe this? Okay, so I had a list, actually. So let me pull this up. I have a wrist. A, a wrist. A list. A wrist. A no, lisp. A lisp. <laughs> I have a lisp. I actually do have a lisp, which is true. I do, um, too, a lot of the time. Let me pull up this list real quick. Um, but just kind of broadly looking over it before I get into the details of what I've written down, really looking at that running back room because you know there's not quite a standout when it comes to the running backs and obviously we got a few transfer wide receivers um but starting up front with the o-line um i have uh mj alley for sure taking a step forward i have that whole line i mean they're all going to take a step forward this year obviously really good in the run game uh run blocking pass pro was something definitely be, to be desired they're still solid but obviously dylan morris bailed them out of a lot of tough situations there i think with that whole unit coming back and them all getting the chance to play together is going to be very beneficial. And I think you're going to see those guys towards the bottom of that starting five, Ali especially, really going to make that jump. Um, I mean, he's a big dude. He's like, what, 360, I think, like 6'5". Dude is absolutely massive. And this isn't me being biased. Like, I went to high school with the guy. He's a great dude. I root for him all the time. But I really do think just looking at the last year was his first uh, experience really starting on that O-line. And the development he's going to be able to make in that whole line in general, I think they're going to be one of the top offensive line units in the entire country this next year. And that's not just me being a UW fan. I mean, you look at the fundamentals, you look at the size, it's all there. And I think with the experience that they're bringing back and the fact that they all play together, it's just, I mean, it's going to be good. Um, and then kind of for the the backfield, I have, you know, some of these younger guys. I have the Caleb, I have Caleb Berry, definitely standout could get some playing time next year i mean pleasant's really going to take the charge uh for that running back room next year so you're going to look at a lot of those um running back two running back three options to pick up the slack a little bit not that pleasant is not going to get it done obviously but looking at those guys you know maybe third down backs take some reps off of pleasant so he's not just dying every single game you're going to look at caleb berry for sure freshman from texas coming in um he looked pretty good during spring ball i mean he is a guy that um actually i don't know if we saw a lot of him during spring ball but just from the things that the limited amount of things that we have been able to see from him and he's got good size he's an athletic kid you're also looking at um uh Javay on sunday also another one another texas running back i mean they just this room's loaded and i think these young guys are really going to get a chance to shine i also think for tight end you know you think um, Otten obviously is going to be your starting tight end, but when you're running the ball, doing all this play action stuff, there's a lot of ch uh, chances for a second tight end to get involved. And I think that's where you're going to see. Um, oh, gosh, I lost it. I had it going. I was rolling there for a second. It was pretty <laughs> impressive. So you're talking um, about getting into the run game, especially with, I don't think many people expect like a, a 40, 50 pass a game type team from Washington this year. Oh no, definitely not. Which is especially where you're going to have to see these tight ends and running backs really stand out and you're going to have to be versatile. That's why I think um, it's going to be most obvious in those two positions um, and the offensive line, obviously as well, already a solid uh, running unit and they're only going to get better just from playing together. Um, I think at tight end, you're going to see a lot of, um, excuse me, Devin Culp, I think is going to get involved. He, um, you know, big, strong kid. You're going to see Quentin Moore, especially, I think is going to be the go-to 
a tight end two option for Washington. I mean, he's the transfer from Independence Community College. He's a local kid um, coming back to his home school. But I mean, another big physical kid that can get done in the run game. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see him catching a few passes next year, really getting involved in the pass game as well. You're going to have a lot of teams who send, you know, their best safety, their most athletic linebacker on Kate Otten just because of what he can do. Right. So it's going to open up some options for your other tight ends to get free. Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to Oregon, uh, there's a few breakout candidates. One of them would be a running back as well. Uh, but he did get injured recently. Sean Dollars, the running back who was supposed to be, I think most people expected him to be the second back behind CJ Verdell. I still yeah. think by the end of the year, he might take Verdell's job. Like uh, yeah. in the limited time I've seen Sean Dollars, I haven't seen anybody, not Husky fans who hate Oregon, not basically any fan out west who all hate Oregon. I haven't seen not one of them say anything bad about Sean Dollars. I think everybody is pretty much in agreement that he's going to be a really good running back. And mm. I'm excited to see him play. And I don't know, do you think Noah Sewell would classify as a breakout player or did he break out last year in the short spurts he played? Um, I would say he would qualify as a breakout player. So then I think we have our two other breakout candidates would be playing the same position, inside linebacker. Noah yeah. Sewell, and obviously the one everyone's been waiting to see, Justin Flo. Mm -hmm. Noah Sewell and Justin Flo are going to be a force this year. I know there are some experienced guys ahead of Flo right now, and Sewell's probably going to start, but Flo might not to start off the year. I just mm -hmm. think there's just too much talent to hold a guy like Justin Flo off the field for that long. He's going to yeah. play somewhere. There's a, Somebody's going to get moved so Flo gets on that field. He's too good not to. And then outside of them, those are pretty obvious names. Flo and Sewell. Yeah, big big name recruits. Obviously, a lot of people thought Flo was one of the more purely raw, talented linebackers we've seen in a while. And sure. Sewell, Sewell showed what he could do a little bit last year. He still got room to grow, but he showed what he could do. Troy Franklin. We have a deep wide receiver room, but Troy Franklin out of Washington. Thanks, Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, Troy Franklin could end up, I think passing a lot of veteran receivers on his team he's really mm -hmm. impressed he impressed me during the spring game all the little clips i've seen from practices and from people who are at practices who i talked to troy franklin looks to be every bit of that ranking he got out of high school which with one of the ranking companies giving him five stars and i think he composited out to a four star he might have got did he give his fifth star do you remember i don't remember off the top of my head no let me see if I can find it. But yeah, um, I mean, he's looking to live up to that. Like, Oregon hasn't had a wide receiver room as talented as it is now in so long. But apparently Troy Franklin is just like, he is what you would expect, uh, if not five-star, a fringe five-star wide receiver to be. And he plays a lot like, I don't know if you watched a lot of Marquise Lee. He mm -hmm. reminds me so much of Marquise Lee. That. That burst, man, it's just, it's something that's going to be fun to watch. And we haven't seen something like that in a long time at Oregon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And again, I'm not super like off the top of my head. I'm not super familiar, but like flow is definitely a name that came, came up in a lot of conversations, even be between me and you. Right. And I think you're right that a lot of people are just looking to those guys to, to make a big move on an Oregon team. That's already got a lot of attention on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, correction, I, I said, I don't know why I said Troy Franklin from Washington. No, he's from California, but he was at Washington was one of the main teams pushing for him. It was a Washington-Oregon battle as well. There was a few yeah. other schools involved, but Washington and Oregon were battling for him for the most part. 
Washington. Yeah. Some people, I guess, in Washington thought they were going to flip him to end the year, but mm-hmm. didn't work out that way. And he's on Oregon's roster. So what do you think is going going to happen with this playoffs? Do you think it goes to 12? Oh, it definitely goes to 12. It's, I think it does. It's going all I the way to 12? Yeah, people are begging for it at this point. I mean, you see so many people like just theorizing about it and so much attention's going into it on a national level. I think you're going to see 12 teams going into the playoff, and I'm interested to see how that pans out, especially for the Pac-12, who predominantly only has one team really in that conversation every year. Now you're looking at potentially a second, maybe even a third team squeaking in, depending on how you know good those... um those outside looking in teams are going to be with one team guaranteed pretty much making it every year after talking yeah. to Mark Rogers. He said pretty much every year there would have been a pac 12 team in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how do you feel with, with the given past couple of years, if there was 12 teams this year, who would be your picks to make it for the pac 12 pac 12? I mean, it's, do you be think one would make it or two team make it? Or what do you think happens? Um, realistically, I think the pac 12 champion gets in and that's it. Um, ideally you know the two teams playing in the pac-12 championship or you know maybe like the washington oregon oregon game kind of deciding who gets in from the north you could see those two teams you know if there are two teams at the pac-12 with only one loss maybe two i think you could squeak in i think you're going to get the conference champ and this year obviously i think the conference champ is going to be washington like because that's me and i'm a husky fan so obviously i'm going to have that opinion um but you're going to look at a Washington getting in, and I'm pretty sure you're going to see that second team, whether it be Oregon after that game or, you know, whoever wins the South getting in. I really like not as realistic as just the one, but I could really see it happening. Yeah, I would really love to see that too. Like, I know there's a few people like Andrew Percival who argue heavily against expanding the playoffs, but like at this point, what what is keeping fans interested? Because like when you're a fan of a major team and you lose one game, well, you're dang near out of the playoffs. So the casual yeah. fan, the ca- like me and you, obviously, we're still going to watch the games. We love our teams. Yeah. But the mm-hmm. casual fan has a lot less reason to watch when his team has pretty much got no chance for the playoff and nobody really cares about these lower tier bowls anymore. And rightfully yeah. so. Like I don't think, I don't think players going into the draft should play these low tier bowl games. But if your best players aren't playing, why would you care about that bowl game anymore? exactly there's no reason for the fans to care so why like what is what's the reason like if if you're amazing now if you like a small team and you're an alumni from there then you're probably going to be a diehard if you like that team if you like a north texas a unlv a fau like you're not going to be a casual fan there aren't casual fans yeah. of those teams mm-hmm. and you need the casual fan for ratings wise you like the casual fan is a necessity we may not it all like casual majority fans. of the viewer base mm-hmm. makes know, a vast majority of the viewer base. Yeah. And when, when you lose one game and you pretty much eliminate that casual fan, it kills a lot of the atmosphere. Oregon's had yeah. an issue keeping students in the student section. Well, once we lose one game, they're like, well, dang, we can't make the playoff. Yeah. And the student section, sorry to break it to you guys is not the diehard fan anymore. Student section is a casual fan. Can't quite say the same for Husky Stadium because there's some dude being oh my god there's some rowdy Husky students in that student section and I don't think there'll ever be a time where that student section is not full. But you're right. <laughs> I mean, it makes an argument for the casual fan that it makes it more interesting. I guarantee if you have Coastal Carolina playing Alabama, Alabama probably beats them by four, at least like four or five touchdowns, right? But 
I guarantee a lot of the casual college football fans are going to view it just because, oh, who's Coastal Carolina? Like, I've never seen this team before. Yeah, it's, right. and it's like, we know them, but the casual yeah. fan doesn't know who the Chanticleers are. <laughs> exactly. And, like, it just, it can do so much good for the, I don't know, like, why people are so opposed to it. It's going to bring in more revenue to these broadcasting companies and these people hosting, you know, whatever funds go into the playoffs. It's going to bring so much revenue in. Because people are going to be watching the mismatches. They're going to be watching the group of five teams that get in. They're going to be watching the Pac-12 versus SEC games, you know? It's just bound to happen. I think their argument is they think the regular season would matter less. But here's the thing. How much does it matter now? Once you lose one game, does it matter? Like, do you, like you, I'm still watching the games, but I'm also sitting here like, I mean... Are we gonna... We're not SEC fans, so it's a bit different for us, obviously. <laughs> no, I mean, I, no, don't get me wrong. I will watch college football all day, every Saturday, even oh, if yeah. Oregon's not playing. I loved yeah. watching football. But at the same time, it's like we have, there's like, what are what is left to compete for? Like, Yeah. Uh, I know it's a little bit different for you guys because of it's been a while since. But like, for me personally, and, and this is going to sound super spoiled, but like, what is a New Year's Six win? What does that do anymore? Like, what is... As yeah. much I would rather lose in the playoffs than win the New Year Six. Yeah, at that I, point I, mean, I got I, to the playoffs. I agree, and I think even for Washington too, like a, a New Year Six bowl would be nice. But we've been to the playoff at least once. You know, that's not the peak of our program, right? Like mm-hmm. we obviously want to strive for, it, and I think most fans would agree we want a New Year Six win over, you know, or um, excuse me, we want a playoff win over a New Year Six win. Sorry. Yeah, and I think the only reason I said, like, uh, it might be a little different for you guys is because I think a New Year's Six one would be really big for your, like, marketing in a sense, marketing towards recruits oh, for and marketing, stuff. yeah, for sure. It'd be big. But it, but like, a New Year's Six win for us is like, okay, you did that already. Do something else. Yeah. As far as, like, what we want to strive for as a team, I guarantee that. Oh, obviously. You know, Everyone's striving rather, for a championship. Yeah, we'd rather get our shot at Alabama again. You know what I mean? But, like, you like, know, the, the Georgias, the Oklahomas, the Oregons, there's like, okay – You've won New Year's Sixes lately. When are you taking that next step? Exactly. Like most teams, as much as people hate it, you got to build. Not everyone is LSU and goes from mediocre to a championship team. Yeah. Most of the times you take things by steps. That's that's the only reason I was saying like it might be a little different for you guys because the New Year's Six would be a solid step to that next championship or playoff win or whatever you guys are aiming for. Like you, mm-hmm. you that would be the next step. But when it comes yeah. to the teams who haven't quite done great in the playoff era, like the Oklahoma, Oregon, Georgias, and all them. It, a New Year's Six doesn't do anything for them. It doesn't hurt them, but yeah. it doesn't do anything to add on to anything for them. It doesn't help them in any way. You guys, it could yeah. help you a lot with perception and recruiting and stuff like that. But it's still a stepping stone at this point. Like, what yeah, it's is a stepping stone? And then once we get that New Year's Six win, we're thrown into that category with you guys. If we're competing for, you know, getting in the playoff every year, we squeak in every couple of years. And mm-hmm. then what, you know, like, and especially there's this thing coming out with the playoff where they're talking about playing, like doing the playoff, like the first few rounds of the playoff first, and then setting up, you know, the semifinals and then the New Year's Six Bulls and all that, which I think is also a great idea because it's kind of like, I don't want to say placement bowl games, but it kind of, you know, gives that, okay, we've given it our shot at the, the national championship and now we can put all of our effort into this bowl game that still means a decent amount to us because it's a new year six bowl. You know what I mean? In a perfect world to me, if injuries weren't a thing and if the NFL draft wasn't like a thing that that was looming over players going into these playoffs and stuff like that, the playoffs would be decided after bowl games. Yeah. Who's in the playoffs would be decided because it would keep the bowl games important. Keep the regular season important. 
Because then mm. if you look, okay, well, we need a really good season in case we lose our bowl game against a really good team. Or mm. like, we need to win this bowl game because we lost to so-and-so in the regular season. Then be able to bracket it. But it's not, that's not a realistic option unless you shorten the season, which that's not going to happen. No. Yeah, that's never going to happen. So. so like, and 12, honestly, my, my thought would have been like, could you not do the playoffs after bowl season if you move, like they're moving up the things to week zero instead of where week one was? Mm-hmm. If they do the 12 team. Uh, so why not do that and do a eight team playoff or a six team playoff after the bowls if you move it up a week like you did and move the bowls up? I, I know everyone likes the New Year's six bowls being on New Year's, but it's it's not how stuff works anymore. Yeah, I just think that it's more realistic for the bowl games to be like those bowl games to be set up after the playoff. I think it's much yeah, it's more obviously realistic. more realistic. It's still, and it still gives. I mean, not that the bowl games because you're obviously you're still gonna have people holding out for the draft. You're gonna have people worried about injuries and all. It's gonna that. happen. But it makes it so that you know maybe those bowl games are closer matchups. You know, maybe it makes more interesting matchups, and maybe their teams like I don't know. There's a whole selection process that's going to go into that if the 12 team playoff does happen because that's most likely uh, what's going to happen from what I'm kind of seeing on Twitter and stuff. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. But I think the 12 team playoff overall is going to do really well, going to do good for college football. I really do. And to be uh, to be a devil's advocate in a sense. Oh, for those who think a 12-team playoff is going to bring parity, it's not. Like, for the Pac-12, let's just say there's a 12-team playoff. Oregon would have five playoff appearances. The rest of the Pac-12, I think the most would be two? Cause no, I think, uh, Huskies, Huskies what, have three? three. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, like, Alabama would still have more than the rest of the SEC. Oklahoma would still have way more than the rest of the Big 12. Ohio State would still have way more than the rest of the Big 10. So it's not going to bring as I think it helps a lot, but it's not yeah. bringing as much parity as some people are. Yeah. Like it's still going to be the same teams. You think there's going to be an upset here, there, whatever, you know, like, like, a like say this year, Washington, say Michigan was at their peak, not Michigan. The teams going to get this year, <laughs> a Washington team beating a Michigan on a normal year is going to be an upset because talent wise wouldn't stack up. Oregon and Ohio State would be an upset because talent wise we I was don't say stack Oregon, up. Ohio State yeah, exactly. That's why I was I was doing them both. I was in, I was yeah. digging that y'all. Hey, no. I appre- I appreciate the representation. <laughs> I, I really do. I really do. So um, so yeah, it's just like upsets are gonna happen, but I don't I don't know if uh, if people are like hopelessly thinking it's gonna be like a a norm for there to be an upset every year, but I don't think that's gonna be realistic. Yeah, no, and, you know, but every, you know, once every five years, there's going to be that one game. There's going to be a group of five. And we're going to talk about it forever. Time, and we're going to talk about it for the rest of time. App State's going to be Michigan. Game, <laughs> that's a narrative I'd, I'd love to see. I'm sure Michigan would find any way out of that or reseeding in any way they could. Because <laughs> that story would just write itself. App State, no, 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 Michigan's bracket would include App State, and then their next bracket would include Oregon for the same 2007 <laughs> season, App State, then Oregon. <laughs> Oh my god! That would yeah, be that, Michigan yeah. would like bow out of the playoffs. Like we're good, nah, thanks. Statue, Statue of Liberty, anyone? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that I don't care what team you're a fan of. That is one of the most beautiful plays ever. Oh my gosh, dude, it was so, was so beautiful. <laughs> he just said, mm, ah. yeah, "I don't know how." Like that. I've played on a football field when a Statue of Liberty was ran. How do you fall for that? I mean, it is. I once you're in college, it's a little different. I mean, yeah, Dennis Dixon is a lot level. better than 
<laughs> then the guys I was, I was say, playing you, against. You, you have high schoolers trying to run that, and it's you know it's on like one week of practice. <laughs> it's just, you know, it kind of falls apart. But especially with those college. But athletes, at the same time, and... at the same time, you're you're a defensive college athlete. You're a D one yeah. defensive player. Like, so how are you falling a, for it? That's the thing because you're not expecting it because that's something you do in a, J- in a JV high school football game. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much what that era of Oregon was built on. It's just like, you ain't expecting this or if I do it. <laughs> like, it's just like, what's exactly. the dumbest play you can draw up? Chip Kelly was like, sounds like a genius idea. Let's run it. <laughs> we used to run this play in a Little League. Obviously, it was Little League. It might have been the goofiest play I've ever seen anybody do in college or not college. Oh, my God. In football at any level. Uh, it was a two-point play, and what would happen is the quarterback would take the ball under center, and he'd hike it, and he'd fake a handoff. He'd run, like, eight yards backwards and just throw it behind his head, and there would be a mob of people in the end zone trying to grab at it. The fuck? It worked. <laughs> that was the sad part. <laughs> I know um, when I was in high school, uh, our high school coach tried to pull Oregon's playbook. Like He would watch the Oregon games and watch their plays and try and, like, use that. Well, because, like, we play Lakeland, and Lakeland out-talents yeah. us by a lot. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to find any way, and it, it, we haven't beat Lakeland, but we've, yeah. we've made it more competitive with Lakeland. So I mean, maybe it's working a little bit. Yeah. But My... I, I literally like I was talking to his son one time, and he's like, "Yeah, he tries to copy Oregon's playbook," and I was like, "He does," and he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> My high school was quite the opposite. We went so old and traditional that it was, we ran wing T. It was so ancient that nobody, like everybody forgot how to play defense against it. And it worked. Wing T. See, nah, you got to run that in Florida and they're just going to run you over. Like, what, they're like, oh, yeah, what are no. you running? <laughs> like, what is yeah, this? That's, and that's, okay, so here's here's a bit of a story for you. And this might be a little relevant because of, I'm going to use the one, the one, uh, the name drop here. That's going to be kind of a buzzword. Emeka, right? Emeka Egbuka. Uh, yes. Um, we were. That was kind of the theory everybody in the state was thinking when we went to play them because Silicon was on this absolute rampage through our league and we were doing good on our side and stuff and we played them for the league title and, you know, like they're obviously a spread, like very, very modern style football team offense, all this stuff. And we like, we won the game because we did like wing T trick plays where like we had our athlete quarterback like do a you know reverse fly sweep halfback pass type deal and all this other stuff your quarterback played running back in college didn't he no he act well he was it's a long story with him but he he was looking to play like safety yeah (laughs) i figured it wasn't quarterback i I mean he had he had the build of a quarterback or wide receiver or safety but dude was dude was like an all-state sprinter and all that like is just free freakish athlete um you know i really hate when old heads try and say like old football teams would dominate modern ones like no it's the other way around my guy like what's that defense gonna do when they see like three crossing routes come on the middle of the field it's like hold up i'm sorry you're gonna tell me that like a lineman from the 1950s is gonna block aaron donald one-on-one bro like there's no way i'm genuinely convinced college teams from now would beat pro teams back then I, I could see it. I could definitely see Who it. Who the fuck on those offensive lines is guarding Kayvon Thibodeau? <laughs> no one. Who's getting Nobody. open on, say, Trent McDuffie? No, literally no one, dude. Like, Or who's who's uh, P- 
Penae Sewell in Oregon. Who is gonna like even line up? Like who's lining up at that spot? Like who who are we putting there? Those guys never got bigger than like what two thirty, and they were like five nine. I like. I'm sorry, dude. There's no way. People are like, oh, the rules were different. They were tougher. It's they like, were yeah, tougher. But... Yeah, until you run into Justin <laughs> Flo's, like, until you run into somebody out literally fucking... twice your size. Sean Oakman yeah, no. comes out on the field and it's like, hold up. <laughs> you, you can be tough all you want, but I'm about 100 pounds heavier than you. And about. They'd go to, they'd go to of... try to throw a clothesline. They'd get caught in midair <laughs> by these football players, dude, in the modern era. Like, there's no way. The Sewell family is beating a professional team from back then. <laughs> You know, it's sad. Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers would line up with all eighty of his <laughs> children, and they would be. Who wins, the Sewell family or the Breeze family? The Breeze family's all eights. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Close one, close one. I'm, I'm taking the under, though. I'm just gonna take the under. It's taking the under. Who, who would play quarterback for the Sewell family? Is that like? Mm- Panay. <laughs> it just be Wildcat, dude. Like, come on. You don't need to do anything fancy. Neffy. Nah. Uh, the, their dad, Gabriel Sr., just sitting there. Hey! Throwing that ball up. Who's getting past? Like, let's be real. Who's getting past Panay? If it's like if it's like a, a five on five type thing, you know, Panay's the only one off the guard. Who is easy money? Yeah. Drew Brees would probably send his kids out too. He wouldn't even be playing. <laughs> Drew Brees would be like, my knee hurts. <laughs> You guys got it. I'm retired. This is it. This is it anymore. I'm retired from the Thanksgiving games too. I don't know if y'all realize what I meant when I said I was. No, retired. when I retired from football, I retired, <laughs> I retired from, from all, all football. football. <laughs> Unless you want me to talk about it, then I'll I'll take a few million dollars. <laughs> I mean, yeah, who wouldn't take that deal? Ah, yeah. shit. I'm trying. I'm doing it for free. Well, yeah. There you go. Me too. <laughs> JTT coming soon. That decision, hopefully, because he's visiting Oregon when. Uh, uh this weekend this weekend yeah so that we're getting closer and to that bama next weekend i bama really think weekend. just because visit science i really think it's going to be between bama and oregon in the end i don't think i don't think it's that way now i don't think it's that way now but yeah. i know ohio state is everyone's favorite but i just yeah. have a really strong feeling with the visits like visits especially those two schools those are those are two visits that sway a lot of things yeah, for anybody that's not a Bama fan, like Bama being at the end is really not a good like thing for anybody. <laughs> for anybody, because it's kind of like, oh, that's the one freshest in your mind, and all those national championships that's, and the branding, and that's how we landed like, Kayvon over Alabama. Is we got the last visit. Yeah it it really does like it's a real thing. That's <laughs> like, why. That's what I was. Of it. I was talking to some Washington fans on Twitter about it, and I was like, I like mm-hmm. our odds, and they're like. Oh, there's no reason for you to like our odds. And I was like, strictly the visit date. And they're like, yeah. the visit date means nothing. I was like, ah, it doesn't mean nothing. It, it does more than people think. And I think, uh, I still think Washington has a pretty good chance from what it sounds like. You know, his parents are tweeting about how good it was and he seemed to have a good time. And a lot of people are saying good things about it. But even just it being the first one, it's going to be That's the bad oldest too. in his memory. It's you That's know, what I thought. That's it, what I even told you. I said that, like, even yeah. if you guys had a good chance, the first visit is a yeah. bad sign. It, it is a bad sign. And I, I think just because it's the hometown and um, the fact, I don't know, I just all that playing into it, it's See, not going to be as stale in his mind, but it's still factor, not good when you're going up against Bama in the, the last week of the yeah. recruiting. The factor that could help Oregon and Washington is that he doesn't have to decide until July 1st. Yeah. So he could take this visit the 25th 
And he could still get back to Oregon or Washington on an unofficial. He really could. And that, I mean, if you take your unofficial to any of those schools again, it's kind of like, okay, like. <laughs> well, unless he unofficials both Oregon and Washington again. True, which could he, very well happen. Didn't he do both in the same weekend? I thought he did. Or was it one weekend and the other weekend? I think it was one weekend and the other weekend. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so he could very well end up at both Oregon and Washington again before he decides after these visits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's still anybody's guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't think a lot of people give USC a shot. Uh, when was yeah. their visit? Right after yours? I'm pretty positive it was. Also, yeah, they really don't have much of a shot. Early I, visit, not close yeah. enough for an, a quick unofficial. Yeah. And they weren't leading or anything to begin with. Yeah. So it's really a four horse race, eh? Yeah, I'd say so. JTT, come to Oregon. I love you. <laughs> come to Washington Pace for my sanity. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll never be able to go on Twitter. <laughs> Don't worry. When Josh Connerly commits to Oregon, it's really going to be tough. Dude, he's going to be a dog. Like, that. I'm so confident in that. Uh, I really am. I'm so he confident wants to, in that one. But he wants to play offensive line in the NFL. Like, he doesn't want to go play in the CFL. Dude, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. What does he do? Sell furniture? Is that what? Is that what? What's his name does? The the old oh. offensive lineman on Twitter. Um, Alex or whatever his name is. Yeah, I don't know. Well, if Ruffet, it's any Jordan Ruffet. Yeah, Jordan. If it's any track record from recent memory or recent drafts, he'd be going thirty second overall. So let's compare that saying. to uh, ten. Well. Yeah. And, and uh, also uh, Eric Fisher. Fair. Or is it Jake Fisher? Which one? I always get the two confused. Which one went to Oregon? And I know it's bad, but I get the two confused as to which yeah, one. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the person to ask, honestly. I think it's Jake Fisher. I think it's Jake Fisher. The one that just signed in Kansas City. <laughs> it's so bad. I'm Googling it. You know what's, you know what's good thing? It, it was Jake Fisher. Jake Fisher was the one in Oregon. There could be two start, or two starting offensive linemen on the Lions alone from Oregon. Who's the other one? Tyrell Crosby. Oh. But I think there's a chance Panay is taking his job. I wouldn't be surprised. Wait, isn't uh, Crosby... A tackle. Which one? I don't know. Because they were moving... playing right. Yeah, because he's playing right. And they just signed a left. Oh. Well, yeah, maybe then. But they could maybe move Crosby inside. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Oregon's had a lot of solid offensive linemen in the NFL, even before Cristobal. We have an NFL Hall of Famer who played offensive line. Gary Zimmerman. I honestly don't know who that is. Yeah, he's really old. He's really old. <laughs> I was going to say that does not sound I don't know. Who is our most recent Hall of Famer? Dan Fouts? <sighs> Mel Renfro, Dan Fouts, and Norm Van Brocklin are our biggest names. So with that said, guys, we want to thank you for tuning in to the second episode of the Ducks and Dogs podcast. And we may have some special guests coming up in future episodes. We're not going to drop any names, just in case, you know, something doesn't come to fruition. But there might just, be uh, some... Stay tuned, though. Yeah, stay some tuned. Stuff. There, stuff. May be some, there may be some uh, power changes among the podcast. <laughs> there might be legacies being ruined. <laughs> but yeah, guys, we appreciate you watching, and we hope to see you next time on the Ducks and Dogs podcast. Until now, I Go am Ducks. Michael Black. I'm Matt. See ya. <laughs> Go Dogs. <laughs> All right, well, hey, I'm there. Just-